so we can all sit here and recall the great deeds of the Lord in our lives. We can sit back and, and look back and testify to your faithfulness, Lord, uh, in a, a thousand different circumstances. And most of all, Lord, your faithfulness to us in Christ. So thank you, Lord. We pray you bless our time now, Lord. Uh, put your hand of blessing. Let your spirit visit our church today and bless our church, Father, as we, as we talk about these great things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Alrighty. Good deal. Let me just find that marker I had last time. I think I used the dreaded purple marker, didn't I? Yes. Okay. Um, I don't do purple. Is this purple in me? You know, it's like pink. I just don't. Sorry, guys, if you guys wear a pink shirt because golfers are wearing pink shirt. I just, you know, at the. Um, yeah, I know at the stores, whenever people suggest some kind of paint for something, I'm like, no thanks. Um, okay, Galatians chapter 3, look at this, huh? I even have, uh, I even have um, Haley over here busting out my notes for me, so I'm like really spoiled. I'm not working hard at all, so, uh, and she's got better writing than I do, so. Praise the Lord. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're continuing on uh, in our study. Almost finished up. I was about to move on. Um, next week, we're going to cover uh, something else. I guess blue's better. Uh, but remember what we've been looking at. We've been looking at the redemptive uh, historical approach to hermeneutics. Uh, uh, hermeneutics. I always mess up the word hermeneutics, but you see um, that part of what we've been trying to do with the redemptive historical approach is just to show that what the Bible basically teaches us is what we can call, or what others have called, a a intertestamental gospel. I think that's the best way to focus it because, or focus on it because. Uh, when you think about the gospel, I mean that certainly makes things very easy to understand. I mean we're talking about um, we're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, but what we often fail to see is that, in fact, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus is not simply a New Testament concept, it, but it's something that spans the testaments or it crosses the covenantal divide. Uh, it is something that, according to the apostles. Uh, it is something that we should have understood as coming from the Old Testament as well. I think that's remarkable as well. Is they just they, they just expected us to be able to understand that the death, burial, and resurrection was according to the scriptures. And of course, we we saw that out of First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses one through four, that the apostle Paul there, when he says the scriptures, the only scriptures he has. Uh, access to at that time is the Old Testament text. Same thing with Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Romans chapter 1, um, it is uh, the gospel that God had promised beforehand uh, in the prophets, to, through the prophets to the fathers, or in the prophets through the fathers, something like that, um, uh, in the scriptures. And so, um, and then he says this was concerning his son. So obviously the gospel concerning his son is something that God had promised beforehand. Uh, but we have even a more explicit text in front of us today. Let's read this passage together. Galatians chapter 3, beginning of verse 6, uh, because this makes it abundantly clear that 
The language of the gospel, as it is attributed to the Old Testament, is not an anachronistic uh, move. You know what I mean by that? It is not as if we're going backwards, or it's not as if we are trying to somehow force a New Testament concept upon an Old Testament text, right? It's not as if we're, we're um, you know, it's not as if we're taking a modern idea and forcing it into the past. That would be an anachronistic thing to do. But according to the authors of Scripture, uh, it's, there's nothing more fitting for us to do than to attribute the Old Testament to the past, or the gospel to the past in the Old Testament. Let's read 6, verse 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand, watch this, to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Um, Several things I want to point out here then, of course, if you just follow my nifty little outline here. I want to talk about these four things briefly. Um, the nature of the gospel, the, cro- the proclamation of the gospel, the promise of the gospel, and the blessing of the gospel. And really, um, if we could simplify this outline, what we want to folks look at what Haley's done here. Wow, she's written the Greek and everything. Very nice. You need to go learn Greek now. Um, uh, if we could simplify this whole outline, I guess, right, what, what, what we're looking at is two things mainly, and that is the proclamation, right, uh, proclamation, right, the proclamation, and, and, this is very important, the proclamation and the blessing of the gospel, and we'll get to why that's really important. Uh, but in terms of the nature of the gospel, we should get into this as well, because what we understand from this text is that the nature of the gospel is here being presented to us. We are being told what kind of gospel um, we could say was uh, preached to Abraham. And um, I guess the easiest way to say this is that the type of gospel that was preached to Abraham was a gospel of forensic righteousness. Uh, You can see that here in the text by the numerous uh, words that are used here. For example, uh, there is forensic language throughout, right? Look at verse 6. The language of reckoning. You see that there? The language of reckoning is where our... And notice that that's uh, being attributed to an Old Testament passage, but that that Old Testament passage is speaking of what is come to be known as imputed righteousness. So the doctrine of imputation comes from the reckoning passages of the Old Testament, which is really a phenomenal thing. Matter of fact, I don't know if you understand this yet, but when you think of New Testament soteriology, the doctrine of salvation in the New Testament, there is scarcely one word in in the New Testament that deals with soteriology, that does not have behind it an Old Testament background. Can anybody else think of anything else that, that, that that's true for? Uh, any other words that, that you can think come from an Old Testament background? Uh, any, anything? And dealing with salvation? 
if you just think of the whole order of salvation, <laughs> think of the different aspects of salvation. Here, we're talking about uh, imputation, right? So imputation goes back to the Old Testament. What are, what, so what are some of the other aspects of our salvation? Anyone? What is it? Speak it out. Atonement? Well, of course, atonement. Yeah, well, atonement is definitely an Old Testament concept. The Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16, right? The Day of Atonement. The idea of atonement, which means what? What does to atone mean? Does anybody know? What is the word to atone? What does that mean? To cover. That's right. It means to cover. It is the way that God covers our sin. Any other words? The big ones. Think of the big ones for just for... Yeah, I was getting away. <laughs> Didn't mean to do that, but... That's right. I mean, here it is here, right? I mean, even in this text, Abraham was... It says here, Abraham was... Uh, had believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, talking about the forensic aspect of the nature of the gospel, there's the term now, dikaiosune, righteousness, right? So, what is the gospel about? The gospel is a matter of righteousness. Righteousness versus what? Righteousness versus what? Hmm? What's the opposite of righteousness? Unrighteousness. Um, lawlessness, wickedness, guilt. Right? Guilt. Uh, at the same time, look what it says, what it goes on to say here in verse... Eight, the scripture foreseeing that God would what? Dikaiao, that he would justify the Gentiles. You see that? So, 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 um, what happens here is that the word, um, the word here to justify, this is what's interesting about the word to justify. See if she put it up here. Well, there's, uh, there's, um, here's, uh, the noun, dikaiao. This should have been elongated a little bit. <laughs> but uh, because this is, this is the noun, but dikai'a'o, this, this verb literally means, watch this, to righteousified. Hmm. Now, what's wrong with this word? It's not English. It's not a word? <laughs> right? You don't write. Righteousified. <laughs> There's no thing. But dikai is the root for righteousness. So that the authors of the New Testament, what they've done is they've taken the noun concept of righteousness and they 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 attribute they they you know they in verb form that means something like to justify because you would never say to Righteousify or whatever, righteousify, right? But that, but this is why I'm pointing this out: that to justify means that there is a transfer of righteousness, right? To be justified means that you have become righteous. You've gone to a state of righteousness. You see what I'm saying? Those are the moral forensic implement uh, aspects. Uh, of the gospel that's being presented to us here, uh, the language of imputation, uh, so much more, the status of righteousness, 
being changed. Now, this is, this is amazing because, remember, righteousness as opposed to unrighteousness or guilt. Turn with me in your Bibles to a very important parallel to this idea of a forensic righteousness, and that's in Romans 4. You go to Romans chapter 4. Uh, it's, this is a great text because it's not just uh, a parallel to the idea of justification, but also it also gives us an example of when we talk about the gospel in the Old Testament, actually Paul is going to give us an actual text from the Old Testament, right? Who wants to read that for us? Uh, Jonathan, can you read that? You there? Romans 4, 5 through 8, please. Nice and loud so the microphone can hear you. But to the one who does not work but believes in, in, in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Mm. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Whose sin the Lord will not take into account. He does not credit his sin. Why? Because through justification he has been credited with righteousness. So, so, so Paul sees in the words of the psalmist here an occasion of the, 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 the gospel in the Old Testament. It's just remarkable, right? So these are sort of the background of, or some of the background texts, places like um, Psalm 32, because that's where he's quoting from Psalm 32, where David sees himself as a justified a justified sinner because he confesses sin to God, because God was gracious to him. And Paul sees that as an example of justification by faith alone, apart from the works of the law. Because David does not appeal to the works of the law in that text as the basis for his forgiveness. Instead, this is a a sovereign, uh, monergistic work of God. God is the one who justifies the ungodly, as he goes on to say. Uh, in different places. Okay, so, so I mean, we can go on and on and on with the nature of uh, the Old Testament gospel, and I have, have different, um, still different aspects to that. Um, but let's move on to the second one, and that is this, the proclamation of the gospel. What is the proclamation of the gospel all about? Well, it's right there in verse, um, verse 8, but let's read again, verse 6. Even so Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, here's his argument for that. The scripture, now this is an interesting way of speaking, and we're going to maybe tackle why. The scripture, see, you, you would think that that would be rel- re- uh, correlated to a person like the angel or God or the spirit. But it actually says the scripture, that's the subject. The scripture and then this parenthetical statement, literally you can put it in parentheses. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, end of the parentheses, preached the gospel, the scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. Now, why? Let's try to wrap our, our, our minds around this. Well, I mean, several things, right? I mean, here we have uh, Paul explicitly using the gospel with what was the message of the Old Testament that was given to, 
to, to Abraham. He doesn't shy away from that. So, you know, if you ever bump up against those people that say, oh, the gospel, well, no, no, that's a, that's a, that's a New Testament thing. That's not the Old Testament. The Old Testament is about the law. Okay, well, the, 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 the gospel here is preceding the law by how many years? If you knew Galatians, right? <laughs> right? How, many, how, how, how long before the law was Abraham? Anyone? How many? 400 years, right? And that's what he says later on in the chapter, that um, a promise that was made 400 years prior to the giving of the law does not annul the, the law that came 400 years after the promise does not annul the promise, right? So uh, where is that? That's somewhere. I can't find it right now. But but you see that. You see an explicit reference to the gospel in the Old Testament. And now what we're being told is that <clears throat> is that it was done through the scripture. So how do we understand this? How is it that Paul is saying the scripture being the subject is... What, because it's not who, <laughs> right? It is what preached the gospel. So why is this important? Uh, as we have been studying biblical theology, one of the things that I've been trying to emphasize is the progressive nature of supernatural revelation. Right? That basic, basic to the word of God is this, that what is happening in scripture is a progressive unfolding of God's revelation to man, right? From the very beginning, like our hardest Voss says, what we have, what we have in the gospel of paradise, Genesis 3.15, is the gospel of Paul in seed form, right? And, and it's got, you ever seen those time-lapse videos where you see the, 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 the seed in the ground, it's, it's, Right, it's it's it grows, it sprouts, it breaks through the soil, and it begins to you know grow, and they do the incredible time lapse picture. Right, that's exactly what's going on with the gospel from the beginning. Right, it is given in seed form, and what we're seeing here to Abraham, as it were, it's the initial sprouting of the gospel as 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 revelation. However much revelation was given to Abraham at the time. Now that's, I'll let you guys grapple with that because here it says, to some degree, Abraham, Abraham had access to, not just the gospel, to scripture, <laughs> to scripture, grafe. He had the scriptures and it was through the scriptures that the gospel was preached to him. So the gospel is something that is found embedded and inheres within, um, with, within the text itself. Let's stop there for a second and think about that, that idea. That what, Rome, what Galatians 3.8 is saying is that the gospel is not something that is being here attributed to Scripture. I'm saying that what this text is telling us is that the gospel is something that inheres to scripture. In other words, it's intrinsic to the scripture. It is what's in the scripture from the outset. Does that make sense? How does that does that how does that help your theology or any questions or because <laughs> to me that's really big, yes ma'am. Yes, sir. Um, maybe I'm missing something. Mm-hmm. I say that a lot. <laughs> scripture 
No. No. Gospel is the message concerning Christ. Okay. Yeah. And scripture is the revelation of God that contains both Christ and the gospel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So here when it's talking about scripture, it's actually speaking about revelation. Not the book of Revelation, but the work of God revealing himself. That's right. So as God is revealing himself in the Bible, part of that revelation is that he also gives or presents the gospel. Right? Yes, sir. So, so you would say that um, in, in reference to Abraham and God speaking to Abraham, telling him that, all, that the nation, through his seed, all nations will be blessed, that would be considered scripture because it's God's revelation to Abraham. That's right. So therefore, That's right. just because it hasn't been penned doesn't mean it's not revelation yet. I mean, it, is re- it is actual revelation we don't in know. scripture. Yeah, we don't know what Abraham had in terms of what was penned. Maybe, maybe Abraham already had some sort of inscripturated Genesis account. So that in Genesis he already had sort of the working foundations of the gospel, right? And then when the revelation came... Right of this promise, which is really the logic of what the text is saying, right? It says here, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So, let's move to the promise, the promise of the gospel. All the nations will be blessed in you. Um, this is what was preached to Abraham. Um, and, this, and this also is parallel um, let's see, turn, turn with me to Romans chapter 1, just so that we can see it, because what I want in our minds to happen is that we begin to stack up these texts in our mind, right? That when we think about a intertestamental gospel, when we think about the gospel uh, across covenantal divides and testamental divides, right? That we know where these texts are at that say this. And we've been there already, but I just want to read to you. I'll read them to you. Just go there. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. There it is. Which he promised beforehand. And so a very similar close parallel. Um, it's one of those occasions where theologians say Galatians is like a mini Romans, right? Uh, because of parallels like this. Preach the gospel beforehand, and then right here, it has been promised beforehand. Watch this now. Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See that? Concerning his son, who was born and descended of David according to the flesh. So you know that text. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And you know, well, we've been here already. That's okay. Peter says, I stir you up by way of reminder. So just remind us, remind us of what these familiar texts are asserting. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, right? God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. Um, That's an amazing, in these last days he has spoken to us in his son. Okay, that's really amazing because, I mean, here we have explicit now someone by name. Right In Hebrews, it's God spoke to the fathers in the prophets in Galatians 3, 8, or 6 through 9, here in Galatians, we have now an explicit name of someone to whom God spoke. <laughs> and here was Abraham. 
God spoke to Abraham, right? In, in the scriptures or through the scriptures, we can say in keeping with Galatians. Now, let's turn to a big one. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is kind of a familiar uh, passage of scripture as well. The reason why... Let me turn there myself so I can see the other verse that I was... Um, yeah, at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, the reason why this is so important is because of the way that Peter is not only just speaking about this sort of Old Testament gospel and Old Testament revelation, but look at verse 9 when it says here, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, watch this now, the salvation, the soteria of your souls, and then verse 10, as to this soteria, as to this salvation, what salvation? The salvation that he's talking to or talking about to New Testament people. Verse 9, your sal- the salvation of your souls, right? As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. What? Wait a minute. So the salvation that you and I experience in the New Covenant as New Testament believers, that salvation is organically the salvation that the Old Testament prophets, watch now, carefully searched and inquired about. (laughs) Isn't that remarkable? Right? Because what what does our salvation consist of? Well, our salvation consists of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ applied to us by faith on the basis of grace, right? By grace through faith, right? And here, Peter is telling us it is that salvation that they were carefully searching out and carefully inquiring about. So remarkable. He gets more specific. Seeking to know what person or time, watch this, the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating, and now here comes the content of Old Testament, Old Covenant revelation about the gospel. Same parallel idea as Galatians 3, 6 through 9, right? What is the revelation that was given to the Old Testament prophets about as he predicted what? The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Now, we have been looking at extensively that according to the New Testament, what the Old Testament centered upon when it came to the gospel is not the, the hypostatic union of Christ, the dual nature of Christ. Something a little different, isn't it? It was what? Do you remember? Not the dual nature. The dual estates of Christ. Does Peter agree with Paul? 1 Corinthians 15, Romans chapter 1. Does he agree with the Apostle Paul? You better believe he agrees. Look at what he just said. He says they predicted what? The humility, the sufferings of Christ, and the exaltation, the glories to follow. You see that? So the dual estates of Christ is what the Old Testament prophets were making careful searches and inquiries about and how that applies to the people of God. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. And the only reason that can happen is because it was the Spirit of Christ in them. 
see that? So what stands behind the progressive nature of Old Testament revelation is not simply the innovations of the human author, but it is a supernatural redemptive act of God that is supernaturally, supernaturally revealing himself to his prophets. That's remarkable. That's remarkable. I just, uh, I'm obsessed with this, as you can see. This is a point of obsession for me. Um, so, um, okay, so, so in other words, I'll be out of time if I say so what. So, um, <laughs> so, so, okay, let's move to the next one. The promise of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel is being proclaimed to uh, Abraham. And what was proclaimed to Abraham, we could even say what was proclaimed to Abraham in this promise, right? is a gospel of justification by grace through faith alone and Christ alone, to the glory of God alone and leave everything else alone. Right? As the reformers would say, sola. <laughs> right? Uh, okay, so now the promise. Let's look, let's look at the promise in conjunction with the blessing. We can't go too far without these two overlapping because remember, this is really our, these are really our two points here. Okay. Let me just scoot this. Sorry, Haley. Now you worked really hard on that. Here, I'll abbreviate. Okay, Romans. Um, okay. Uh, where's my blue? Blue is better than purple. Anyway, um, what? there's two things that we're really looking at here, right? Two things. I'm going to change this word for us so you understand kind of what I'm getting at as time gets late. And You know, I get rebuked all the time, and it's my fault. It's nobody else's fault. It's my fault. Because I always take this class to the limit. It's like, you know, a minute before time is over and we're supposed to all transition, you know, get in the sanctuary in time. It's always my fault. Anyway, so proclamation. Now watch this. Application. It is not just that what is given to us, if you go back to Galatians now, Galatians chapter 3, Right? It is not just that what is given to us in Galatians chapter 3 when it says that the promise was given to Abraham of what? Of all the nations being blessed in you. That is a parallel to an earlier uh, primitive promise in Genesis, a lot earlier on, where it says that God will bruise the head of the serpent and you will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Right? That primitive promise that, according to the authors of Scripture, the whole gospel is in that. <laughs> so this is why we have to uh, understand biblical theology and we have to understand the progressive nature of Old Testament supernatural revelation. In other words, how um, Old Testament revelation is growing, right, in specificity. We can't possibly expect that Genesis chapter 3 is going to say something like, you will bruise his heel and he will bruise you on the head on the cross as he justifies the people of God by faith, like by grace through faith, right, through imputed righteousness. No, you're not going to get that in Genesis. 
what you're going to get instead is you're going to get a very um, simple, almost kernel form of truth of the gospel. So in the same way, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, especially verse 3, that this is talking about here, right? Uh, All the nations will be blessed in you, right? Um, In the same way, that small, what to us seems like a very small promise, just a few words, that's it. Just a few words, that's it. That's the whole gospel right there, that's it. But we should, if we understand the way that supernatural revelation works, we should understand that out of that primitive promise, that primitive promise progressed into an, a labyrinth of Old Testament uh, prophecies, shadows, types, sacrifices, covenants, right? Because of that one promise. Yes, ma'am. I think you, I think, I think you knew what you meant, but I think you said it wrong. What did I say wrong? <laughs> About the, um, you know, the verse um, that, you know, I think you kept switching it up. Did I switch About it? What? the bruising, the head, and the heel. Okay, sorry. Right. So maybe can you just... He will bruise you on the head. You will bruise him on the heel. Is that what it says? I'm reading it right here. Can you read it? That's exactly what it says. I think you're switching it. It says he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ryan. Coming to a a brother's defense over here. (laughs) Yes, Yes, sir. So basically, it's, I hope I get it right, it's an unfolding. It is an unfolding. It's unfolding. It's like it kind of was folded up. They had their revelation in the Old Testament, and it slowly was unfolding to them. And they were looking ahead to what was happening. Now we're looking back and we're saying, okay, now we understand what he means by the bruising and all those things. It opens up the gospel to its mm-hmm. fullest revelation. Right? Yes and no. Yes, you're absolutely right. It is an unfolding, Right? But I want to be careful that we do not minimize the revelation that they had, right? Right, right. Because according to Galatians 3, it seems as if the revelation they had was a sufficient revelation. And it was also, as we're going to see, it was also efficacious. They had the gospel. So being careful that we think like Paul or even more explicitly, think the thoughts of God after him, right? That what Abraham had, according to Galatians here, that what Abraham had was the gospel and nothing less than it. Yes, Landon? I was just going to bring something I've always remembered from Augustine. He just says, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And a good way of just kind of understanding God's, the way that Scripture expands throughout history, Mm -hmm. throughout redemptive history. Perfect. Right. We'll get to that. Yes, what well, I was going to say is it simplifies things to use the word good news instead of gospel to un- for a better understanding in the Old Testament. Because that's what gospel means, right? Yeah. So if we're saying in the Old Testament they're responsible for believing whatever good news God had revealed to them up to that point, which is pointing towards the Savior ahead, and they didn't have all the details that we have in the, new, in the New Testament. Right. But that's what they're responsible for believing, and that gospel is whatever new, good news God had revealed to them up to that point. Right, right. Any scripture that you can think of, Ryan, that would suggest the utilization of good news? Um, 
the word good news, other yes. than just the fact that the gospel means good news? Yes, and I'm trying to think of exactly what it is. But it's, Not to it's, put you on the spot. It's perfectly clear. Uh-huh. And, um, and as you're saying that, I'm looking, I'm, I'm acting like I know, but I'm looking for it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I found it. So you're now, now you're definitely on the hot, on, on the, on the hot seat now. <laughs> sure. I feel like that would be akin to what would promise Abraham. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm thinking mainly of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter four. Um, so I think I guess to answer the question, uh, Ryan, I would say it's both and. It's not pitting one against the other, right? Um, I think it's both. It, both are helpful, right? But it says here in Hebrews four six. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. So there you go. The preaching of the good news to the Old Testament saints, who in this context is the wilderness generation, who failed to enter uh, the Canaan rest because of their disobedience. But what was the Canaan rest symbolic of? Future rest in Christ. And ultimately, eschatological rest in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the heavenly Canaan, in Zion, in the city of God, in the new Jerusalem, in the new heavens, and the new earth. I mean, that's what it's about. Yes, sir? That's a parallel to the Galatians passage which we've been reading. The gospel is preached beforehand. That's right. The good news. That's right. Exactly. That's very good. So, in the promise itself, um, uh, just very quickly want to point out that what this promise is... The nature of this promise, if you really wanted to do an in-depth in, in study of the kernel of the Genesis 12 promise, is that what it is, it's several things here. It is a covenantal promise because it is confirmed through the covenant that God makes with Abraham, Genesis 15. It is also a transnational covenant, right? Because all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So every time you're reading the Psalms, you ever read the Psalms? And it talks about God saving the people in the farthest coastlands and, and on the farthest islands, right? That's all Abrahamic covenantal language being played out in the theology of the psalmist. It is that God had promised to, to, to save the Gentiles, and to the farthest corners of the earth, right? Um, uh, Israel, therefore, in Isaiah, is called to be a light to the Gentiles, right? Because of the Abrahamic promise. And therefore, it is also eschatological because it is pointing to a future time of fullest fulfillment. Uh, fullest fulfillment. Now, let me get to this part, okay? And that is the blessing of the gospel because... I want to point out a very interesting detail here that I believe uh, Paul did this on purpose in order for us to understand, um, uh, I think, more fully this intertestamental gospel, this sort of gospel in the Old Testament and the efficacy of it, the efficacious nature of the Old Testament gospel. That, In other words, that it was fully effective. It was a fully effective gospel. However much, you know, and scholars quibble about, and they fight and they debate and they banter back and forth about how much did the Old Testament people know? How much did Abraham have? Just how much detail did they understand, right? Well, however, 
you know, whatever degree they had and whatever conclusion you come to, you must come to the conclusion that they had an, a, a sufficient degree of gospel revelation that resulted in an efficacious application of the blessings of the gospel, or we can say the benefits of the gospel, okay? Because, look at the text, after saying this is what the promise is, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. Okay, now now emphasize and underline the, the word, the prepositional phrase, in you. Right? And then look at what Paul does here. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, watch this now, with Abraham the believer. So he switches the prepositional phrase from <clears throat> in, right? Uh, the Greek in to with, right? Um, and um, what is the with? Is it? <sighs> Let me see. Those who are of faith. Oh, that's right. Soon. Soon. So, soon and in. Okay? So, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul... Are you mad at me back there? No, no, I'm just laughing. Is it unintelligible, sweetheart? Well, no, no. Yeah, your wife will tell you the truth, you know what I mean? It's funny because you're, you know... It's what? like as if we understand that, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a couple guys in here. Landon's studying Greek. Josh, uh, or, I mean, uh, Chris, he, he knows some Greek back no, there. I know, I know. I just like writing it out. I just, I don't know. It's just a habit. I can't help it. But, but um, suffice to say that I think that what, what Paul is doing here is he's showing us that the gospel that was preached is the gospel that is sufficient and efficaciously applied both to New Covenant believers and to Abraham. It is the same gospel, if you would, with the same benefits. Because notice, we are blessed with Abraham. And then what is Abraham called, folks? The... Believer. Why? To pisto. Why? Why is Abraham called the believer? Can I remember how he was called the friend of God? The man of faith. The man of faith, right? Why do you think he's called the believer here? Anyone? 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 It says it. Right? It says that he believed God. It was counted in his right. He was a believer. It was just that he was a believer, but here it's a definite article, the believer. Because of the promise that came through him. Okay. He considered the father of our faith. He's been saying all the sons, uh, those of faith are sons of Abraham, so it's fitting him as the father so he would be the first believer. Keep going. The first one. Okay, he's the first one. Maybe it's referring to... First one, you're almost there. Preeminent under Christ in lines of Hmm. the picture of our faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not really a wrong answers. You know, these aren't wrong answers at all. You know, I'm trying to strike at some things. 
you know, make you work. And then when you see what I'm talking about, well, either you like it or you don't, but <laughs> hopefully you see what I'm talking about. And yes, sir. Um, I, I, I just person, I'm putting a lot of stress on the definite article. To pisto, the believer, not a believer. It's not indefinite. And I think that that is on purpose. Yes. That's about, yeah, that's, I was going to go after just, just as an example, even, even, even maybe even referring to Romans 4 without, um, he says, yet with respect to promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and in being fully, fully assured that what was promised, he was able to, he was, he was also able to perform. Therefore, also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So he wasn't, you know, shifting, and but he just was believing God. So what I'm saying is that what Abraham serves as now in the theology of Paul, and you just proved it by going to Romans to a, a larger passage, right? A more extensive Abrahamic theology in Romans. But here in, in Galatians, we kind of get the, the, the cliff notes, right? And what he's giving us is this, that Abraham is actually the prototypical believer. He is a prototype of all those that will believe after him. And then that's why he is the progenitor, as it were, of the coming believing generations. And that's just verse 7, though, right here. Verse 7. You read it. Know then that it is those those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And we won't even get into the covenantal implications of that verse, of what it's saying there, right? Yes, ma'am. Always the practical. Right, my dear? <laughs> Let's get to the life, you know? What shall we teach Time fails us. We need to do like, doesn't David Platt do underground church or what's it yes. called? Yes. We need to do that. I'm going to steal that from him. It's, when, it's like a church service. They all come together literally for like six hours. And all he does is just teach the Bible nonstop. People are like fainting in the aisles over it. <laughs> But I think like they, I heard like they break out the popcorn and they got blankets and they get all cozy and is that true? Anyway, I don't know. Is that seeker sensitive? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like probably. <laughs> yeah, we got Starbucks. Okay, let's go to worship. Hope you guys appreciated that. I did. I do. I love all this stuff. Thank you guys. Stop it. I'm serious. It's closer to purple than blue on